Hey guys, welcome to the Public Health Pharmacist podcast. I have an extraordinary guest who I have the pleasure of uh, being not only colleagues with, but friends. We go way back. Um, we actually both graduated from the same high school in Las Vegas, Nevada, Durango High School. A little shout out to my trailblazers out there. Um, and even back then, I knew that um, the infamous Alex Dixon was destined for greatness. And I am so happy that we were able to reconnect um, earlier um, uh, this past year uh, when he moved back to Las Vegas. And so um, without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Alex, but we are gonna talk a little bit about his work in the hospitality industry leadership, as well as transitioning to a new job during a pandemic. That's great. No, uh, Dr. Madison, thank you so much. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be able to call you Dr. Madison. I think when we were coming up, it was Christina, but now uh, congratulations <laughs> to you and, and all the development that you, you've had over, over your career. Um, so thank you for having me on. And, and uh, I think by way of background, um, you know, I'm born and raised here in Las Vegas third generation, you know, my grandmother moved out here back in the 50s to be a, a housekeeper. And so uh, it's been a pleasure for me, as you can imagine, to, uh, you know, kind of start out on Wall Street with, with Goldman Sachs and transition to investment banking and, uh, and then uh, move on to Caesars Entertainment for about 10 years. And uh, I spent a little bit of time in Baltimore, Maryland as the assistant general manager for a casino then in Massachusetts and Springfield to be exact as the uh, general manager in June Springfield. But uh, uh, coming back to Las Vegas was a, a dream of mine and, and to, to be able to come back as the president uh, and chief operating officer of Circus Circus uh, was absolutely amazing. Uh, and so it was really about a year ago this time, uh, I moved back to take on that role as president. And um, after Labor Day, once the family had moved out uh, to Las Vegas from Massachusetts, um, MGM uh, decided to sell the, the property, um, you know, and wish nothing but the best to them. Uh, Mr. Ruffin purchased the property for 825 million. And in uh, the end of December, that was my, uh, my last day with, uh, with MGM and with Circus Circus once the sale was consummated. Uh, but fortunately, through you know good relationships, uh, I was able to, to land on my feet with uh, um, my current role, uh, where I'm the president of PureStar, uh, the West Region. Um, so based here in Las Vegas, uh, and we provide all the, the laundry and linen services to a lot of my former clients, a lot of my former colleagues, I should say. Um, and so uh, for the vast majority of the hotels on the Strip uh, and some of those out in the, uh, um, the locals market, we provide those, those, that laundry, linen, uh, back of house services. And, and so it's a different way of being tangentially uh, still in, engaged in the hospitality and, and gaming industry broadly, but it is a, it is a whole new challenge. And uh, I started in January. Um, and so you can imagine uh, it's been um, uh, both challenging, rewarding, um, and going through a pandemic all the while is uh, uh, is extremely unique, and we're all uh, we're all um, you know tackling it the best we can from all our different vantage points. But it's a pleasure to be with you, and, and uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, you know, from the business aspect, obviously, we are in uncharted territories as it relates to um, just what's you know the bread and butter of our of our community, right? So, uh, you know, as 
you know, both of us are born and raised here in Las Vegas um, to see sort of the overnight transformation because we needed to, you know, for the health and safety of our residents, you know, halt some of these services. You know, how are you sort of tackling that um, sort of, I don't want to say loss because it's not, a, I mean, it is, but it isn't, right? So it's a loss because, you know, it's sort of, this dream of you know um, what Las Vegas is is kind of not there anymore. But sort of how have you guys um, looked at this as maybe an opportunity for growth and maybe some alternative means of of positioning your business moving forward? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, you know, we we want to make sure the health and welfare of our um, our team members, our, our, our families, um, that we're going about our day-to-day -day lives in, in, the, in the safest manner as we can possible. And so we, like every other business, are following the directives of you know, the CDC, of the governor, of uh, all of the health professionals. And so I, I can't underscore enough of uh, the people who are on the front lines whether that be the healthcare workers, uh, the essential workers kind of throughout. Um, we've continued to stay open to serve many of those essential businesses because we provide the cleaning supplies and different forms of rags and towels to help make sure that restaurants are sanitary even during this time. And so this business has impacted us. Um, as you can imagine, we supply uh, an industry that is that is completely shut down right now. Uh, and so it's, uh, it is painful. Um, it has been made, you know, folks have made sacrifices individually. Uh, it has impacted um, uh, us in an extreme way. And I, my heart thoughts and prayers and our collective thoughts and prayers as a company go out to the people that we serve as well as our, our community at large. You know, we're a broader the uh, part of the broader fabric of Las Vegas. And so we're not immune and, and uh, it's made, um, you know, our, our community hopefully recognize the, the ties that bind. Um, I do think our best days are ahead. Uh, it is gonna be a very difficult time to, to, um, to plow through, um, but it's, it's, I think we should all be grateful that uh, the leadership we have in the state are, are being thoughtful um, about, uh, about how we approach this pandemic and how we're gonna recover from it and uh, get back to business. Yeah, so um, I think that's a perfect segue into my next question for you. And so, um, you know, obviously you have a very um, strong civic background. I remember we were both in student government. Um, but with that being said, you're also very politically connected, um, not just um, locally, but regionally. And I know that um, you know, your your spouse is also um, very, very politically connected and has a, a consulting business. Um, how do you see sort of moving forward um, your role um, as sort of an advocate for business moving forward? And, and maybe tell us a little bit about your recent appointment to the governor's uh, business task force for Nevada. Right. No, thank you. And so, uh, yes, just recently, um, uh, as many, many of you may know, um, the governor uh, requested uh, Jim Mirren, the former chairman and CEO of MGM Resorts, uh, to lead a private sector task force that was uh, focused on uh, uh, three primary things. The first response, um, second relief, and then recovery uh, for our state. And so um, there's several others on that task force. Uh, the CEO of NB Energy, uh, the CEO of Optum Care, uh, the chairman of the board of Wind Resorts, 
uh, Senator Ivana Kinsella, uh, Steve Menzies, um, uh, Scott Nielsen, uh, and myself. And so it's been a, uh, a pleasure to serve with these folks uh, day in and day out uh, over the past month. Uh, and our, our, our mission are a couple things, but the initial focus uh, as, as directed by the governor was to go out and raise private, um, private dollars to really help us um, to procure the PPE that our frontline team members uh, uh, who are out there uh, in, in essential roles uh, so desperately needed. And so the state um, sent us a list of items uh, that they needed. Uh, and then the task force uh, within the course of seven to 10 days, we raised about $10 million um, uh, through, uh, through efforts of, of calling friends, family, colleagues, uh, and foundations here locally um, so that we could go out and utilize our network to be able to procure, uh, in this case, uh, millions of pieces of PPE. Um, we are in a uh, competitive uh, dogfight with other states and other countries to get these uh, equipment. And so uh, there was an article in the Review Journal today um, that, uh, uh, that that recognized the National Guard for distributing many of the materials that this task force was able to uh, help raise the funds for, procure, and get here to Nevada and get to our, our frontline uh, healthcare workers. Yeah, so PPE or personal protective equipment for maybe some of you guys who aren't familiar with that terminology um, is is life-saving. So, you know, many um, of the deaths that have occurred from COVID-19 unfortunately have been in healthcare workers um, that did not have adequate PPE when they were um, uh, taking care of some of the patients that were infected or being evaluated for the infection. And so, um, you know, I saw a recent um, uh, CDC graphic that showed that 55% of all individuals who have been infected with COVID-19 are healthcare workers. And as somebody who has now worked in public health for um, over a decade and a half um, and knows, you know, the benefit and, you know, really the need for this protective equipment. Um, you know, I used to work in a tuberculosis clinic, and so I'm very familiar with wearing an N95. I would be tested once a quarter for tuberculosis to make sure that I hadn't been infected. I was tested every year um, to have a fit test to make sure that my N95 fit properly um, when I would go into those rooms and evaluate patients and take care of them. Um, so the, it's mind blowing to me that we currently live in a time where these single use products are being asked of our healthcare workers to be reused and in some cases having to go from patient to patient and not being able to change them it's um, it's devastating to me as somebody who has you know a background in public health and then also a background in hospital ER and trauma so um, I applaud you for your efforts and I thank you so much for what you are doing for the state of Nevada um, and for our frontline um, healthcare workers um, and really just heroes because they are going into basically a war zone, right? And not only are they going into that war zone, but they are, um, you know, initially in the beginning of this pandemic, especially here when we started being inundated with patients, we were having them go into this war zone unprotected. And so, that I mean, I know that that, um, you know, is a priority for our governor, and I thank him for his leadership um, in putting together such a phenomenal group, 
not only um, on the civilian task force, but also um, on the healthcare side and the medical side as well. A lot of the individuals that are on the medical task force are people that I've worked with for years in the public health sector um, as my role as a previous president of the Nevada Public Health Association. So um, we have the best and the brightest on this. And I really do think that because we um, heeded the warnings early that our state um, will probably see much less deaths and much less um, issues associated with overrunning our healthcare system um, because we took some of those decisive actions and because of your um, task force efforts in procuring um, much needed PPE for our healthcare workers. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I know that there's a couple other things that you guys are working on. I know you said uh, relief and recovery. So where's that aspect? Sure, yeah, so right now uh, we're in the midst of really um, helping uh, the, the state uh, ramp up its, its uh, high throughput testing. Uh, and so, you know, as we um, uh, eventually get back to business, it's gonna be important in order to be able to keep both our healthcare workers at safe and the public health um, uh, sector in general, but as well as making sure that when we get back to business, um, that we have the ability to test um, uh, the requisite amount of people in order to keep um, the, the general public and the visitors to Las Vegas safe. And so um, uh, about last week, I had the fortunate opportunity to, to fly up to, uh, to, to Reno to go meet with um, a renowned uh, medical hospital um, and, uh, and their team there. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with Dr. Pandori, who runs the Nevada yeah. Public Health Lab, as well as uh, Dr. Trudy Larson, who runs the uh, Public Health School at UNR, um, uh, along with the uh, Kevin Dick from uh, the Washoe uh, County Health District. Um, down south, I've been working very closely with Lisa Orlock, who runs the, the, the lab here at UMC, uh, as well as other professionals. And so um, a couple of things that, you know, I'd share from, uh, from, from that work. Um, you know, so overall right now, we're producing approximately 800 tests a day um, over the last 51 days that we've uh, been, been fighting this, this pandemic. And so if you give, if, to put that a little bit in perspective, there's roughly 750 ICU beds within the state of Nevada. Uh, and then about 5,500 hospital beds. And so right now the criteria to get a test is that effectively you have to be uh, exhibited symptomatic. symptomatic. And yeah. so, um, uh, you know, whether you, you call into the health district, you call into your doctor, you call into uh, any any scenario, they, they help to run through um, what are the different symptoms that you have. And then if you're recommended, you can go and get tested. Um, and so um, uh, there was an article just uh, uh, probably about two days ago in the Las Vegas Sun outlining, uh, fortunately, how we're going to be able to ramp up that testing. Um, yeah, I just heard UMC is supposed to ramp up the tests, right? Yeah, um, um, eventually. And so uh, today, Saturday, the, they will go from roughly 500 to uh, uh, 15, uh, excuse me, 1500. Uh, by May 1st, they'll get up to 4,000, and then eventually by June up to 10,000, which, as you can imagine, trajectory is, is amazing. Um, but what's important is that there's several wraparound services, as, as you know, Christina, that are required because uh, for every uh, person who tests positive, we need to make sure we're doing the contract tracing, uh, we're making sure that we're advising them of how they need to isolate, uh, and then uh, what they need to do and the, the support that they, they need to get better. And so right now we're focused to make sure that uh, um, these resources are coordinated so that as we ramp up on the, on the capacity, that we're having a tight coordination with the folks who, from a medical side, are, are helping to set the criteria. Um, and that's uh, one thing that the state is, is hyper-focused on. 
uh, and then just making sure that that this testing capacity reaches throughout the state. And so, spent some good time with the the folks who run the uh, the um, health district in Carson City. They're responsible for four of the rural counties, and yeah. make, they'll they'll start to um, uh, have the mobile collection um, that they're doing in Reno now um, to make sure that we're able to get to uh, to communities in those areas. And so right now it's all about ramping up testing, uh, and this is on the, uh, the 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 viral testing on the, on the PCR side. Yeah, um, not the antibodies yet. Not the, not the antibody, and, and you 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 are well much more versed on on that than I. But uh, from all the medical professionals, it sounds as if the antibodies uh, test has still a little bit of work to do. Um, so it's not uh, yeah. false positives. Yeah, the validation process is really important for antibody testing. And so um, obviously, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me as someone who, um, you know, has worked in public health for a while and has for a large portion of my public health career actually focused on those who are um, uh, impacted by uh, HIV positive status. And so I actually see a lot of parallels between um, how we handled the HIV epidemic and how we're handling COVID-19. So uh, back when we were first seeing patients, um, we only had a test for the virus and we didn't have the test for the antibodies. And it was kind of, you know, um, giving us this false picture of how many people were actually impacted by having a positive status because we were really only seeing the tip of the iceberg because we were only testing people who were sick. Um, and I really see that similarity here. Um, and then once we had routine antibody testing, started screening the blood supply, um, then we were actually seeing a full picture of who um, was actually positive. And it really helped us transform something that was a, an epidemic into something that is a manageable, uh, you know, medical condition now. And so, you know, the antibody testing, um, there's a couple of things that are why we kind of have to slow down a little bit and why it's so important that we ramp up the PCR and RNA viral testing. Um, and so if we get a better idea of how many people are actually infected because we've tested them for the actual virus, that'll help us to be able to validate the antibody test because if you do it in an area where there's a smaller amount of people who are infected, it actually makes it more hard um, to validate the test. So you need more people to actually be impacted to test to see if they have the antibodies. And so both of them really have to be in concert. And so I know there's been a lot of um, uh, information out there in the media um, about, you know, the antibody test being like the, you know, the holy grail and it's going to be able to have us bring in, you know, our, our economy back. But really we have to take this step by step. And so, you know, we have to test more people to see who's actually infected. And then that'll really help us to kind of move towards, um, you know, other preventative means. Because um, even once we do have the, the ability to test if people have been exposed, that doesn't stop them from being exposed again. So it's like these tests have to just keep going until we have what's called herd immunity, which is where 70% of the population is infected, or we have a vaccine and that's 12 to 18 months out. So. Um, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing that. I don't know where the new home lab core test is coming into play, um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, that will also um, be a relief valve um, as we're ramping up um, capacity and laboratory capabilities moving forward throughout the state.
Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up great points. Um, I think first, it's important that, that we do think about this, this fight um, in the context of the 18 months, let's hope, knock on wood, until a vaccine, because even when we do get a vaccine, um, that means here in the state, we've got to touch 3 million people, um, some of whom are insured, some not insured, some people are um, uh, have papers, don't have papers uh, in terms of immigration status. And so it's important that we start the planning now so that uh, when we do get well, any type of new technology to help us fight this, um, because we, we have to be forward thinking um, because all of these, uh, what I call kind of whack-a-mole um, 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 shortcomings or, or pitfalls are just that, they're distractions until we can uh, win the fight, which is through a vaccine. And so I think um, it's important that we do look at it uh, along this compendium. And then the second point, you know, I'd make it, you know, you brought up the point in terms of LabCorp and Quest, you know, these are the larger private labs. Uh, you know, in an investigation, it's, it's interesting when you peel back the layer, you know, both of those, these facilities have, or excuse me, these companies really have 13 facilities each around the, com around the country that actually do this testing. And so, for, for LabCorp and Quest, they don't do any testing here within the state of Nevada. You know, it gets shipped out over to, to San Diego or, 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 or uh, to Phoenix. And so, um, you know, we've reached out, you know, with, within both of those organizations at, uh, at high levels to, to really in, in encourage them to make sure that they're, they're putting Nevada at the front of the line or helping to increase our, our capacity here. Uh, and then separately, we're reaching out directly to, to the manufacturers of these high throughput testings. So Thermo Fisher um, has a phenomenal product that the team down south is using. Uh, and then Hologic has a, has a, uh, a, a, a tool, uh, the Panther technology, that uh, we're, we're helping to try to make sure that we get uh, our, our fair share of their allocation up north mm -hmm. to into our facilities at the State Public Lab. And these are um, high-capacity nucleic acid amplification tests that use PCR technology, is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. And I, I think at a very macro level, like taking a step back, you know, I'm, I'm just a firm believer that communities and regional economies that have access to high capacity testing of its of its uh, population, you know, as we think about the GDP of these cities, if we were to look back in 18 months, I think you're going to be able to put cities into two categories. Those, those that who did. Had, <laughs> did and those who did not. And so uh, the health outcomes, the, the GDP of those cities, as well as the educational um, kind of uh, outcomes of the residents of those areas are going to be impacted by, you know, a couple of independent variables. It's high, uh, high capacity testing and then eventually is how quickly they were able to deploy uh, the vaccine to their population. Um, and so um, as we think and look back, you know, in, in several years upon this time frame, um, you know, everyone's concerned about what does the, the recovery look like? Is it a, a V, a W, a, a Nike swoosh, whatever that may be. And I think uh, if we think about testing in terms of our overall GDP as a state, uh, we'll recognize that uh, we need to be making big investments because on the, on the, when you put it in a relative context to our overall economy, it's a drop in the bucket. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at, um, ba basically it comes down to, can your employees work or can't they? And mm -hmm. if you think about what your profits would be without your workforce versus with them, it's not even it's not even a thing like it's not even a factor like of course you know you're gonna invest that you know half a million dollars into 
you know, making sure that you ramp up the ability to test or develop your own testing protocol and invest in-house so that you can test your own employees and your own workforce. And then you're guaranteed and you don't have to wear, you know, wait on a LabCorp or a Quest or, you know, you know, obviously making sure that they're compliant with the, the you know, the health standards, but like making those kinds of investments are going to pay off dividends for you, you know, especially the turnaround. I think that's the number one thing that I've seen. You know, when we look at places like California and places like New York State, really the biggest difference is the turnaround time and when they got their test results back. So I don't know if you, there was a recent report that just came out about this, that there was the Sentinel, it's called Sentinel Surveillance um, testing that was done by the CDC and those Sentinel Surveillance test results for New York State, by the time they got some of those test results back, it was the end of March. So by then they already, I mean, there there is no contact tracing at that point. Like it's, it's exploded exponentially. They went from a handful of cases to 40,000 cases. Like, how do you justify that? Like, it's not just capacity, but how, what's the turnaround time for the test results? Because I'll tell you as my, my personal experience from working in tuberculosis, you know, you do a TB skin test, that's 72 hours to have them come back and read that skin test to see if you're if you're testing positive or if you're using the blood test that can be done within a day you know having people wait 8 10 14 days for their test results and they're just out and about because they have mild symptoms it's not sustainable like you can't do that and and expect to contain this virus it's just not feasible no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and so I, I think one of the benefits of developing in the in-state testing capacity is just that, is to reduce the, um, uh, the amount of, uh, of time between you know, collecting that sample and getting a result back uh, you know, to our citizens. Who knew that you'd be a bona fide public health expert after all of this? No, I think, uh, you know, the, the circumstances of the time require you that if you are in the business of helping a state, um, you know, respond, you know, and, and then on the road to recovery is that you've got to dig into uh, this topic to be able to understand what are the things that we can do that are in our control to help protect our population to help get people back to work. Um, because unlike many other states is that this isn't, um, uh, this isn't some passing fancy. Um, this is the difference between um, having, you know, the nearly 25% or 20% unemployment that we're at today uh, versus getting uh, the majority of our workforce back to work. And so um, it keeps me up at night. It keeps, uh, I think, uh, everyone on the task force and really it keeps the people who, who have been furloughed or who are out of work who um, are finding a way to, to make ends meet. And so um, there's so many things that we've got to be able to help food banks. We've got to be able to help um, people who are desperately in need. Um, but, but our task force is really focused on some of the institutional infrastructure things that uh, are, are underneath the surface. But if we get it right, we can really help to lift all boats. And that's what we're really focused on. Amazing. Um, yeah, I just, I, uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you, um, and I want to thank everybody at the state level and on the task force, um, and then also just thank you for your time to kind of really lay it out, because I think part of the anxiety um, of our current 
state is because of all of the uncertainty. And so for me personally, it's very comforting to know that we have all of these amazing people working behind the scenes to really not only um, get access to resources, but really to get this right. Like we really only have one chance to get this right and to reopen our economy in a safe manner and, and in a sustainable manner so that moving forward, you know, we have you know, a sustained recovery and we don't end up having to push the pause button again. So I, I really um, applaud you for your efforts and um, I'm hopeful that I will be able to have you back so that we can maybe discuss this a little bit more and kind of see some of the progress that you guys have been making. Um, and um, I'm sure I'll see um, more uh, of your updates on social media. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I, I think it's outstanding, the work, and I hope that those who are listening, it gives them a little bit of a peace of mind that, um, you know, that relief and recovery are priority and we will get through this, so. No, thank you, Christina. Yeah, so before we end, um, I, I, I know I'm gonna put you on the spot, but I typically will ask um, my guests um, to give three pearls of wisdom, things that they um, would like to leave the audience with, um, whether those are, um, you know, uh, words that you live by or mottos or even a quote, um, but what kind of pearls would you leave our audience with if you oh, that, no, thanks had to me. leave your mark? <laughs> so I, you I, already I, have, but... <laughs> first and foremost, uh, there's a quote I remember actually from high school, uh, and it was, it was never let someone else's opinion of you become your reality. Uh, and so I think, you know, particularly in, in today's kind of interconnected world, uh, and particularly whether it's through social media or just individually, uh, sometimes uh, people can bear uh, the responsibility or brunt of other people's opinion, uh, but that, that should never define you. Uh, I think we, we all need to be kind of inwardly thinking about what is our, our, um, our value um, and that is, is, is God-given that comes from from within uh, and can never be um, kind of imposed upon um, the second I would say is, is uh, I'm a firm believer that that life is is uh, uh, 10% what happens to you and 90% um, how you react to it and that's from uh, Dr. Charles Swindle and it's something that has stuck with me uh, forever um, and uh, it, it's it's one of these things that you know your attitude and your outlook and even through a pandemic like this is that uh, people are going through um, so many difficult things but you know most of the things we need in life you know are, are just those basic food um, shelter uh, you know and, and uh, uh, sustenance from you know from, from from others and so in this time where, where we're spending a lot of time with, with our family and, and hopefully being able to connect with others, with friends. It helps you really understand kind of needs versus wants. Uh, and the last thing is what I say, uh, you know, on a lot of my, whether it's social media posts or to a lot of my friends, and that's to keep pushing. Um, yeah. <laughs> to keep pushing. And so uh, I tell my wife, my wife, we've been together almost 15 years, and I, my, uh, my, my motto is to, to be less and less trifling every, uh, every day. <laughs> great so I'm on that downward slope and then the other is to is to keep pushing and so uh, even when it, what feels like you reached a mountaintop is to kind of keep 
keep pushing, to keep moving. Um, and uh, and so much of this is to uh, is to get after it. And so thank you, and, and Christina, keep pushing. Uh, I know you're new at the uh, getting into entrepreneurial um, um, game and, and kind of building your brand and, and making sure that uh, you're not only getting out there in your, your your day job, but helping build your business and for your family. And it's inspiring, it's encouraging, and I can't wait to see you uh, continue on in your pursuits. Thank you so much. So, man, those are so amazing. So, um, obviously, don't let people's opinion of you shape you. Um, don't let the 10% that happens to you shape your future and keep pushing. I love it. Keep pushing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we will definitely have you back on the podcast. Thank you, Doctor.